0: And you go to Episode 3 of Take It Black. I'm Jack Lattimore. You're at Umarung. I'm Ray Johnston. Thanks for joining us. Now, Ray, we've received some strong support and interest in the first couple of episodes of Take It Black. We've had a jump of 100 followers on the Take It Black Twitter account. We've had five-star reviews on the podcast apps. And I've had a lot of mobs stop me in the street asking where they can get a T-shirt with the Take It Black logo on it.
1: I want a keep cup that looks just like the cup that's in the logo. Everyone wants one, right?
0: <laughs> now, I've done some projections over the past fortnight, and it looks like season one of Take It Black is going to consist of 77 episodes.
1: 77? Yep.
0: We've got stories coming out of our jutu. <laughs> now, just to give listeners the briefest of ideas about what we have in store, we're going to take a look at country music and Blackfellas. Why do Blackfellas listen to Charlie Pride so much? <laughs> they have got Rugby League episodes coming up. A couple of stories, one concerning Country Rugby League and another on remote Aussie rules. We're going to go down to Tassie and hear about crayfishing and mutton birding. And we're going up north to hear about community empowerment programs. Of course, there's a couple more episodes that will involve conversations on topics that affect us. I'm trying to rope in John Paul Janke to host a couple of those because he is a veritable miscellany of trivia. Get him going on a slice of little known Australian history, Ray, and listen to him go. (laughs) He's the winks of archival knowledge. The silver winks, I call him.
1: (laughs) Only when he's out of earshot, though, right? You wouldn't Pretty want him. <laughs> Would you say it to his face?
0: No, he's a ninja. He's a silver <laughs> ninja.
1: So We're also going to have some mini apps, Jack, and we're calling them short black, which I love. Do you get it? Yeah, I like get that it? one. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. flagged that
0: one with me before, <laughs> I love it.
1: So keep an eye out
0: next week for the first one. Now, Ro, what's been happening in your world as science and technology editor?
1: Oh gosh, so much. It's been so much fun to just be able to focus on the topics that I love. We've been putting stories in the daily news that are science and tech related and, and impact on Mob. I've got fortnightly tech and science, you know, this week in news segments going on Nola, uh, which is simulcast across SBS and NITV. So on there, you'd be able to see everything from, you know, a cool new dinosaur has been found to a new phone has been launched to a really awesome mentoring program that exists. Uh, Of course, there's some online articles as well, exploring things like representation in STEM and environmental issues. And there's a couple of big features in the works for when the point returns as well. And I'm really excited to have you all see them. They keep you busy, don't they? (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit. It's more me. I come in every day and I'm like, I've got an idea for another story. Damn it. I want to make a new podcast. Damn it.
0: (laughs) There's so much to do. Uh, it's good to see, and I like editing them too because you don't hear enough about blackfellas and involved in the STEM.
1: No, our percentage of involvement is really, really. Good low and quite disappointing because, you know, we're the world's first scientists and we've got a lot to contribute and our knowledge is important and we need better representation in these areas because yeah it's developing, you know, processes and policies and products that will impact on literally all of our lives.
0: Yeah, from what I've read and seen around the place, we're really good at it as well.
1: Oh, for sure. Of course we are. Why wouldn't we be? <laughs> Now no, we've been winning awards, uh, you know, developing new technologies and you know, integrating traditional knowledge into Western science is something that I think has been you know, really missing in mainstream science in this country. And everyone's starting to recognise the benefits of it. So it's, it's actually really nice to see that encouraged within major organisations now instead of something that's being shunned. Uh, and it's great to be able to have a yarn with all the people behind that and, and shine the spotlight on them, so to speak. Good stuff. Thank you. Always well, always will be. Our first guest for this episode is NITV's new radio executive producer, Kerry Lee Harding. Welcome aboard, Kerry Lee.
2: What a molly, Ray. From my mob, uh, from uptown to away. How you going, sis?
1: Yeah, I'm good, sis. Thanks for joining us. It's really nice to have you here.
2: Lovely to be here. Hi, Jack.
0: Hey, Carrie Lee. How are you?
2: I'm good. I'm good.
0: It's good to see you on board.
2: It's great to be here. It's day three, though, of my role. So, hey, go easy on me, eh?
0: <laughs> uh, we want to know a little bit about you before we go easy on you. Um, All right. So, who's your mob?
2: Well, um, I'm a Queensland Murray, so my mob hail from Queensland. I'm Barra and Walkarookabar from Townsville Mob, Juru from down uh, Bowenway in Air Region, Coa out west of Winton and Canaloo from central Queensland. So that's my mob.
0: Oh, well, you're all over um, the place.
2: Yeah, all over the place, yep, us mob. Uh, come from uh, quite a big family. One of my grandfathers had 52 children that we know of. So, have I got lots of uncles and aunties? (laughs) eh?
0: (laughs) Now, what have you been doing before you started in this role?
2: Oh, how far do you want to go back, Jack? Well,
0: I know that you were working with ABC in radio.
2: I did. I started off, I actually started off in radio at 3CR Community Radio back in the day, which is based in Fitzroy, and I was a part of the test broadcast for our local Aboriginal radio station, which is now 3KND, which holds a full-time licence. So I started off there at 3CR, doing a Sunday night program, then applied for a job at the ABC, as you do. Your mum sends you the job ad and says, go for this girl. You've got to always listen to what your mother says. (laughs) So. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, So I applied for the job back in 1997 and was really lucky enough and blessed to have that opportunity to start my career in radio broadcasting. So I started at ABC Melbourne back then. And I've been in the game ever since, so worked at Koori Mail, Koori Radio Sydney. Oh,
0: you're a Koori Mail alumnus as well.
2: Yes, back in the day, I was a correspondent for Melbourne and photographer, writer, which yeah, nice. um, was really good experience and that I can, you know, add to my multimedia skills that we need to have these days. You know what it's like. You need to be able to do a bit of everything. Yeah, cross-platform. Cross-platform, that's right. So, yeah, my mob are from, like I mentioned, all those areas up there. but. Back in the day, they were forced off country, made to walk. Some of my mob were put on cattle trucks on the back and taken down to Sherberg Mission. So that's where a lot of my family are today. And I love that earlier on in the program, Jack, you spoke about, you know, why do mob love country music? Yeah, well, we love it, of course, because we're a
0: Charlie well, Pride fan.
2: Oh, totally! Yeah, George Jones, Alan Jackson, and I'm a big fan of my own family's music. So yep. I might not have the musical skills that might come out through my radio experience, <laughs> but I'm really proud of what my family do. My mob, uh, Mop and the Dropouts. So my cousin, that's Mop, yep. quite famous band out of Sherberg that has a hit single you'd say in the Blackfella community called Brisbane Blacks. And my other uncle is Uncle Lance Chin, who wrote a song called Sherberg Boy, which is a really deadly song oh, as well. i
0: have to go and talk to them for this upcoming episode. Though.
2: Yeah, they're pretty deadly. And then I've got uh, one of my poppers, Papa Andy O'Chin, and he's just deadly, like deadly on lead guitar. His son plays as well. You know, they've got home studios, as you do. But yeah, really look up to my uncles for the music that they produce out of Sherberg over the years. Yeah.
1: Nice. So I want to hear about your new role here. It's going to be a little bit different to how it's previously been. Yeah, we, we, we had Danny Tease-Johnson in this role before, but you're going to be making podcasts, aren't you?
2: I am, absolutely. So uh, I don't want to give away too much, but there'll be new and exciting content coming out of NITV radio podcasts this year. Yeah, well, yeah.
0: online's pushing a few out. We've got the balling out basketball podcast that Jodan Wilden, Grayson McCarthy-Grogan and Dan Gallagher are behind that one. And wow. they're up to their fourth episode. They're in front of us at the moment in terms of their output, but we'll, we'll clip them. <laughs> now, Kerry Lee, there's also a few rumours of other podcasts in the works here from NITV online. So I guess what sort of podcasts do you listen to in terms of the you know black podcasts?
2: Yeah, Blackfella Podcast. I've got a a show that I listen to in the States from Blackfellas over there. It's called The Breakfast Club. I'm a big hip-hop fan, so to me, that's one of my favourite podcasts that I listen to. But if you're here in Australia, you know, there's really deadly podcasts that are going around. You know, there's Pretty for an Aboriginal, Titters for Titters. Yeah,
1: I love Titters for Titters. I
2: love the way that sister delivers the program. Really conversational. I don't want to tune out when I listen to that one. And that's a good thing.
1: Mm. Yeah. Uh,
0: Curtin, yeah, Curtin's one of mine Amy McGuire and um, Martin Hodgkinson uh, They've got that one going I think it's been going for three years
1: Yeah, That's Amy's a favorite. powerhouse She's such an inspiration to all the young journo's out there I swear, she's so powerful
2: What a legend Yeah. yeah.
1: And Michelle
0: Lovegrove's "A uh, Cuppa and a Yarn
1: yeah. I, I
2: don't mind that one as well
1: We've got to mention Wild Black Women too though Of course, yeah, and my TV's on. Compulsory well,
0: 98.9 FM's.
2: Chelsea Bond and Angelina Hurley
0: and let's not forget Bo Spearham up there, too. He does the Let's Talk program. and uh,
2: He does. A he, deadly job.
0: Yep. He goes all right. Nice. So, Kerry, in your role, what, what have you got your eye on? What sort of stories and topics can we expect to see, whether it's in a podcast or the radio
2: Oh, so many things. I can't actually pinpoint exactly right now, but I specialise in music and the arts, so that's something that I'd really like to bring into podcasting. We've got so many amazing artists and creatives across our communities across Australia, so I'd really like to bring their voices to the fore in some new podcasts. Really like to look at an elders series as well with our aunties and uncles to make sure that we capture a lot of historic moments from you know our individual our aunties and uncles as well, and as well as a lot of history which is a, a interest of mine as well and really interested in the archives so hopefully we can dig up some deadly archival material in some of our podcasts as well Jack.
0: Yeah and off air you've spoken to me about having a look at the water quality up uh, northern Vic, southern, well in that Murray-Darling Basin sort of issue which I think would be great to hear a little bit more from there. We did a little bit oh, this time last year actually. but
2: And that was the deadly story you did up Swan Hill. Thank you. Mm, magnificent photos but not so magnificent seeing those dead fish in the water um, which is caused of course by the blue green algae and then there's no oxygen yeah left in the water Yep. Sorry, you'll do the scientific <laughs> stuff. I'll leave that to you, right?
1: <laughs> no, no, no. You, you, you're absolutely correct. It's it's yeah. a combination of factors of yeah, pollutions, things in the water that shouldn't be there that are causing things to grow and, and stopping the fish getting what they need to survive, basically, in the simplest yeah. of layman's terms. So, absolutely. Yeah, it's devastating.
2: So that's something that I had... I, yarn with Jack about the other day, because I'd been up up to Gunja Mission and the water is really changing up there. It looks green. Mobs say that when they go in the water now, they come out and they just smell the real stinky water. So I'd really like to head up there to Gunja and just see, you know, the quality of the water. But then you, you sort of head further up the Murray, up Aubrey Way, and and the the river's flowing beautifully. So it, it's quite bizarre, just the way the environment is, isn't it these days? Yeah,
0: it'd be good to get some of those stories. Yeah, on this end of the world.
2: That's right definitely yeah. but so many stories to come out of melbourne as well which i'm really looking forward to sharing as well as all that other national news current affairs and other topics we can cover
1: so yeah. not a lot then just a few things
2: just a few things right just a few
1: <laughs> few topics across a small area of impacting a couple of people not not uh, much
2: absolutely yeah but look, there's one more thing something that i'm really interested in personally is archaeology yes. and anthropology yeah and i say that because i'm really proud of my mum my mum, China, is an archaeologist. One of the very few women Aboriginal archaeologists in That's Australia. That's amazing. Oh,
1: yeah. I'm so excited! I want to talk to your mum.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> let's let's do that because there are so many stories that my mum can share. She's a pretty amazing woman.
0: Sounds like another podcast to add to the list. Sounds Ooh, like definitely.
2: Another, absolutely. <laughs> I and want
1: it on this one. Yeah.
2: <laughs> So, you know, history is is really important for us as blackfellas too because, you know, we date back a long, long way right right in this country and, you know, there's so many stories to share from the historic moments in time as well that I'd like to bring up. But on the archaeology, you know, there's so many things we can do. We can talk about dinosaurs and the impact that they've had on our traditional country and what the environment's like now. As we know, you know, we've seen devastating bushfires rip through This country, some call it climate change, some are in denial.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think it is about the podcast or radio format that really makes stories shine?
2: Ah, do you know what it is? It's the guest. It's absolutely the guest. It's a person's voice and their story that we're highlighting that that makes them shine. It's, It's hearing our black voices, which we don't get to hear enough across Australian media, let's, let's face it. So, yeah, it's, I think it's my job to make the guests shine and have their stories told in the best possible way, Ray. Yeah.
1: Beautifully said, Carrie Lee. Thanks so much.
2: My pleasure, Ray.
1: And now it's time to go behind the camera of a feature documentary titled The Art of Incarceration. The film premiered at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival last year and was a hit with audiences and critics, selling out both screenings before Cinema Nova added two more to the festival program. To shoot the film, director Alex Siddons went into the Fulham Correctional Centre in Victoria and followed the experiences of several inmates participating in The tour. Porch art program. The film puts a face or faces to the issue of overrepresentation of Aboriginal people in the prison system. In 2019, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders made up 28% of all adult prisoners. Indigenous women made up around 35% of adult female prisoners while First Nations men are 15 times more likely to be imprisoned than non-Indigenous men. Now, remember that the total Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people over 18 make up just 2% of the overall Australian population. In the NT, the proportion of adult prisoners that identified as Indigenous was 84%, and in the middle of last year, all the kids being held in youth detention in the NT were Indigenous. ABS data in 2018 revealed the rate of incarceration of Indigenous people had risen 45% since 2008. The Art of Incarceration also followed the struggles and achievements of these men after their release and provides an uncompromising look at their experiences. Always well, Always will be! Take it black.
0: Not a cool thing. It's it's not a fashionable thing. You've got to be answerable to a really dogmatic system, and a system that will be strategically designed to be able to to suppress what you have as an individual person. Hello, seen what? Long time. Got some cleaning I've heard it. you've been running yeah. other stores. Shows people out there that we're not all just drug addicts, alcoholics, and cooks and bad people. You know, we have got something good in us. That's like uh, water going down the drain, washing the blood off your hands. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can
0: move on with your life. We'd love to see you at the exhibition yeah, as well. I'll be at the exhibition, because I'm out for 29 days. Oh, OK, awesome. People said to me, how did you change, bros? I said, well, I dove in to my problems
2: basically brought us together as a group and given us experiences that no one can take away from us. $500
0: of cash award and it goes
2: to Robbie Wiramanda. I want to try and get on to as much
0: art as I can because it's it's, um, lit a fire of inspiration under me. Once you take your take, putting on this roundabout, it is a very hard thing to get off it. You know, you can keep coming back,
2: and to go back out there,
0: yeah, you don't want to start on it.
1: Alex Siddons is the writer, director, producer of this film. Welcome. I watched the film for the first time this week, and. What really struck me was how beautifully it highlights you know, the importance of art in the lives of these men and in all of our lives, really, how it can bring people together and you know, connect them with their culture and who they are even under you know, these kinds of conditions.
3: Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. And, um, yeah, I very much appreciate the uh, response. And absolutely, I think the film is a testament to the power of creativity and, of course, the richness of Indigenous culture.
0: Now, uh, Alex, thanks for coming in. The reception of the film at the festival was, like, exceptional. It was, I think, and you may have to correct me here, was it the first film to receive an encore screening?
3: Yeah, that's correct, yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, thank you. We had a few more encores after the encore. How many in total? Uh, well, it was initially supposed to be one screening, but then it became two, and then it became four in the week of uh, MIF, so busy week on the film calendar, but we nearly sold out four of the screenings, so yeah, at, at a few times a little bit worried that everyone would fit into the cinema, but um, everyone kind of barraged their way through, so pretty surreal experience, and I will say I've never felt more vulnerable than sitting in a packed cinema and just watching every single cut and every single moment of the film, and We've now been given the chance to enhance the film, which we'll discuss, and I'm very much looking forward to fixing the sound because although although the film is quite raw, I don't think the sound needs to be quite that raw. <laughs> yeah,
1: right.
0: Well, as you say, you're back. You're reshooting the film. So, firstly, why are you back behind the camera? What are you doing with it now? And what does reshooting mean?
3: Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, Alexei Uzos, who's an exceptional film producer, has come on board as um our executive producer and he has enabled us to enhance the film and um, work with Serve Child up in Brisbane who are going to completely redo the post-production. So having Alexi on board has been pretty huge because as some people may know, we made it on a fairly small budget and he's just really given us the opportunity to fully enhance and optimize the potential of the film. So um, I've looked at it with clear eyes and um, we've got some amazing people on board such as uh, Ken Shellows who's a famous film editor, who was behind Chopper and the Gurumul documentary and many other films. If I went through his extensive list, I would probably be here till next week. But yeah, we've got some heavy hitters on board. And, you know, I myself was quite young when I started. I'm now a little bit older over the uh, five-year journey, but have a very young team. So it's been amazing having some more experienced people within the industry come on board and um, help us rise. Now, Chris
0: Austin, who we heard uh, his voice in that uh, the audio package that, that just at the top of this segment, he's doing something at the top of the film as well, something new?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of people have told me that when they've seen the film, it's the most they've learnt about Indigenous culture. A lot of the you know, very educated people have said that to me as well, which quite horrifically signifies the lack of education and knowledge that we have about our own history as Australians. So that gave me a lot of confidence and I've had a lot of great chats with of course robbie were and christopher austin the two lead subjects and we really want to enhance the cultural resource and insight from the film so yeah uh, christopher austin uh, may be working or in the process of working with the VFX team to um bring to life some more historical context and um yeah that's just one of many enhancements that's uh being brought to the package
2: that's deadly. And you shot the film at Fulham Correctional Centre, which I understand is the only correctional facility in Victoria which has a Khoury Men's Unit. Is that right?
3: Yeah, that's correct. And, um,
2: and what was it like getting access? Because it's not too, it can be very hard for media to get access to go into a correctional facility anywhere in Australia. What was that like?
3: Yeah, I think it's virtually impossible. I think it's... Uh,
2: in my point, exactly. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh,
3: Prison Songs obviously did it in the Northern Territory. And, yeah, Calric Martin. Yeah, yes. brilliant, brilliant film there. Um, so, yeah, it's very challenging. It was a very long process. I essentially... My ex-girlfriend um, received a painting that was done inside Fulham, so I learnt about some of the work that was being created there, and I met Robbie Romanda soon after he'd been released from prison, who then informed me about the Torch program. So I got in touch with Fulham and sent them some of my early works, including The uh, Saints of St Saint Kilda, which was a depiction of the uh, infamous and now no longer Gatwick Hotel, and um, The Busker, which is about a former rock star and busker from Chapel Street called Cookie, who was part of the Mixtures, wrote the Pushbike song. So a few of my early films and my contact from Fulham really respected and appreciated the films. And um, I had a chat to him and I remember he said, Alex, it's very, very difficult to film inside a prison, but it can be done. So I was eventually granted access and I walked through, I believe a 30 kilo door and straight into the yard where I quickly learned to uh, keep my eyes down and just focus on where I'm walking, which was a stern lesson. And um, I walked through the facility and eventually was in the Yurung unit, which you of course mentioned the indigenous unit there. And uh, I instantly met Christopher Austin and I had a chat to him and he said he was very supportive of the idea and couldn't really believe that I was interested, so.
2: That's deadly bro. While the film is premised on life behind bars for the Aboriginal subjects you feature, the film also focused on the struggles of these men after they were released. We, of course, know there are many struggles that our former inmates may face upon release. One of them is very high recidivism rates, of course, we have in our community. And I know that an issue that you might have come across as well is housing for mob when they get out. I've done some radio work in the prisons and then when I'm out on the streets, I see sister girls that I've actually worked for. They've got nowhere to go. They asked me... Can and that, can I come and stay with you? Hey, look, I just say I'm flat out myself, you know? <laughs> but what are some of the issues and the struggles that you see with these men upon release?
3: Yeah, that's beautifully said. And I think in contemporary society, the idea is that within that period of incarceration, that's where the punishment is done. But so many the extreme percentage of people within the jail system are heavily disadvantaged and on the lowest socioeconomical end of society so when they leave the prison gates the struggle continues and enhances unfortunately uh, which was obviously very eye-opening for me to realize so housing is obviously a huge issue and i understand to get parole you need a address
2: that's exactly right if you don't have address you, you get no parole
3: so yeah and what i uh, experienced was sort of people putting sort of their uncle or auntie's address down and all sort of congregating in one location which of course is very toxic if you've, you've got a large number of people who have just left the prison system with you know various issues um, all congregated in the one area. So there's a range of issues, obviously the criminal record and the um, effect that has on employment. It's virtually very, very difficult. And um, a huge amount of, or the extreme, extreme majority of people within the prison system were previously never, or you know, have never experienced employment anyway. So.
2: But one of the positive things that I've seen come out of the Torch Project is inmates producing art. So they're able to sell their artwork while they're in prison. Therefore, their bank account yeah, can grow grow a little bit higher for when they're released. And, and they've got more bungu, as we say from Up My Mob, uh, in the bank.
3: Absolutely. So that financial stability is quite amazing. And it's not just the money, which is obviously huge from a practical point of view. It's also the self-esteem from the artists. And it symbolizes somewhat of a connection to society, which is something one may feel very alienated from whilst behind bars. So it is incredible. And if we're serious about addressing reoffending and lowering those recidivism rates, there needs to be a lot more said about how we can invest that money from the jail system into reintegration into society because it is very very difficult and the reoffending rates are only getting worse
0: now alex you're a white fella and what i admired about your film was the methodology that you applied Uh, there was a lot of integrity in the way that you went about making and producing the film i thought now i've seen this previously from non-indigenous filmmakers and the song keepers film for example comes to mind uh, that was about Central Australian Aboriginal Women's Choir. It was released in 2018, uh, directed by Nina Sen, but it was a work produced over a long period of time like yours, something like five years, and she worked in collaborative partnership with the participants. The Bastardy was another, uh, that was the intimate film um, that focused on the extraordinary life of Jack Charles, uh, directed by Emil Corton-Wilson. But again, it was more of a collaborative partnership in the telling, than just a singular vision. Now Robbie and Chris have been heavily involved in the realisation of the art of incarceration, haven't they?
3: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I feel very humbled to have those names mentioned alongside me in Bastardry, one of my favourite films ever, and Emil Curtin-Wilson, amazing filmmaker, as his song keepers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Christopher was the first person I met in Fulham. He organised everyone to come and meet me and watch my films in one of the classrooms. And then when we were filming, he was facilitating interviews and helping me gauge who was comfortable speaking. And he was also keeping me safe, which is a very real uh, aspect of the filmmaking process when you're inside jail, yep. um, a long way from anything. Yep. So,
2: Can I just say something there, though, bro, that if I'm in a prison working with the brothers and sisters... I feel so safe when I'm by their side, yeah? And that's a beautiful thing.
3: Absolutely. Beautiful it was beautiful thing. Yeah, it was the it was the the hard part was getting to that unit. Once we're in the young unit we felt very looked after and respected. It was the uh sort of the process of getting there which felt a bit threatening (laughs) yeah a bit chilling chilling, yeah but you know good character building nonetheless and of course Robbie is the co-producer of the film his family was heavily involved in it and he not only developed the vision but he was instrumental throughout production so they've had major major influences on the film and it's something we've all made together so I don't really refer to it as my film it's our film and Um,
0: Robbie has been pushing it
3: Absolutely, Robbie has been pushing it through community, and we all share a mutual desire for it to become an educational resource. We want it to be in uh, jails, schools, universities, and uh, we now have Kylie Pascoe, who's a producer, helping us do that. Who actually understands how that kind of thing works, as opposed to my method of sort of, you know, just running with it. So um, that's a huge help. So, um, yeah, it's absolutely been a collaborative process, and that's the way I work. Obviously, I sort of come from nothing. I have the concept, which was sort of half prison, half society, and I have a few questions I'd like to ask, but then I really do my best to let the subjects guide the discussion. And then in post, you know, we obviously bring out the theoretical tensions of the story and try and boil it down to its most fundamental ingredients that we think not only represents the reality, but will have that emotional impact on the audience, which, of course, is how the discussion and the changes manifested.
0: Yeah, that's the integrity I was talking about, and it goes back to that simple maxim of nothing about us without us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And What did you learn from Robbie and, and Chris throughout the making of this film?
3: Uh, thanks for asking that question. I've learned so much, and I'm truly grateful They have made me the storyteller and the individual that I am and hope to be into the future. Uh, From Robbie, he's very much been a father figure and a mentor to me. He's taught me a lot about visualization. He used uh, visualization whilst he was incarcerated a lot and throughout his fighting career because he was, of course, a super heavyweight world champion jiu-jitsu fighter, which he doesn't talk about much. So anything from visualization to uh, create more opportunities than you find to um, You move with the feed, so he's always talking about adapting to new opportunities and um, constantly bettering yourself. I think I've never met anyone who's constantly expanding what's possible and constantly just developing and pushing their thoughts process. And to see his journey throughout the production of the film and now is hugely inspiring. And um, he's now up in Mildura doing great work with the First Peoples of the Miller Mallee and developing a lot of um, reintegration programs for community, which is amazing. Yeah, of
0: course. Robbie, I just want to point out, is also the person behind the Too Strong For Your Karen uh, whole saga. The video went viral, the words became a hashtag, and then the slogan is now being printed on T-shirts. It's absolutely amazing. I love the soundbite as well. Too Strong For your Karen. (laughs) I wanted to get Robbie in to ask him about that and everything that's occurred in the wake of that night. But has he spoken to you about it?
3: absolutely uh, i actually called robbie that morning just to have a yarn because we obviously speak all the time and he goes have you been on the internet bros and i'm like robbie talking about the internet sounded a bit weird so i was like what do you mean <laughs> yeah. um and he's like go on facebook and call me back and i'm like all right so i went on facebook and i see this video it's been uploaded like two hours ago fifty thousand views yeah, yeah. and i'm like is that the people from next door and i because i've they always drive past like they're doing a drive-by and just stare us down and they've given me some very strange looks and i've always been a bit confused by it but yeah that so i think the two minute cut went completely viral within about three hours but it was actually filmed for 14 minutes so uh bob or rob i believe his name is alongside karen was uh started off just drilling into Robbie claiming he's a doll bludger when he's got three jobs, not including being an artist. He's the hardest working person I've ever met. And then obviously they just questioned his aboriginality in as many ways as they could and then they proceeded to obviously pull down his flag. Well, trying to. Yeah, (laughs) trying to and it's of course too strong for them. So that was just crazy. To see one of your best (laughs) to see one of your best friends just get absolutely, you know, well, they didn't humiliate, humiliate him because they they tried to, but he's, of course, far too strong.
0: Well, his patience and restraint. was amazing.
3: And I think that's, that's you know, the media, I don't think, really gave him enough credit for that. He had his... Uh, Jackson was there. Grayson he's was there. Kids. Yeah, his beautiful wife, Jackie, was there. Morgan from Robinvale. Shout out to Morgan, was there. And this man is just racially abusing him in front of in his, own his own whole home. family, in his own home. What they were doing was they'd just been fishing in the river and they were all painting. So it was just... I mean, crazy, but what's amazing is Robbie said to me, he said, Alex, I'm glad you saw that because that's what I've gone through my whole life. And he always tries to turn something like that into a lesson and I think that really shone through. I think he was a lot too intellectual and wise for a lot of the mainstream media who attempted to discuss the issue with him. But the fact that he had that foresight and he's always looking for that greater lesson and greater wisdom within every experience is a further testament to his character.
0: And how's his family going off the back of all of that?
3: Yeah, well, it hit them pretty hard, obviously. And it hit the community up there pretty hard. But to their credit, I think they handled it absolutely brilliantly. The family's going really well. They've got an exhibition coming up at Metro Gallery in Armadale in Melbourne, which opening night I've got written on my hand is the 14th of Feb, which I think is next Thursday. So that's um, very exciting for them. And they've got lots of beautiful art. And, of course, I want to give a big shout-out to young Grayson Amanda, who's been a little bit unwell. But um, we'll be back home soon. So love you, Grayson, and I'll be up there soon to see you, man.
1: Nice. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to hear more about how the film's planning to be deployed as an educational resource. Can you, can you talk to me about that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So we've had a lot of interest from various government sort of bodies, you know, the justice system, obviously. A few prisons have got in contact with me, which has been great. And this has especially been driven by Robbie and Christopher, we really want it to be a resource that you know schools, as I said, TAFEs, many of the um, educational institutions can use because the film is shot in a narrative-driven approach. You know, it's very. A lot of people have said it's a bit more like a movie than a traditional documentary, and I think that's actually a good thing because education doesn't have to be boring and it doesn't have to be dull. You know, it can be completely enthralling, and I think the audience is going to gain a lot more from it if it is. So yeah, we're absolutely, once we do the cinema run, which will be taking place mid this year, our focus will be on the educational stuff. And I know um, myself and Christopher and Robbie, when he's free, love doing the Q&As and coming in and having a chat with people about it because that's what it's all about. And yeah, I sort of just direct the conversation. It's all obviously about hearing what you know Chris and Robbie have to say
1: nice thanks so much for joining us Alex it's been great to hear your insights on how this film came about and, and everyone within it and honestly if any of the listeners out there haven't had a chance to see this film yet please take it when you get it because it it will change your life
3: thank you very much guys and thank you for the incredible support we wouldn't have made it this far without without niTV behind it Oh
1: thanks so much
3: very
2: good work.
1: as Jack mentioned at the top of the episode, you can expect plenty to come from Take It Black. Next episode, episode four, we'll be discussing the axing of the anthem from the NRL Indigenous All-Stars game. We'll be joined by NITV's Over the Black Dot host, Joden Perry, for that one.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one too, Ray. It's been a long wait. Across the summer, and now we can start talking footy again.
1: <laughs> and in the meantime, please keep the take it black conversation going by throwing us a follow on Twitter and using the hashtag #TakeItBlack.
0: And remember to subscribe to Take It Black on your preferred podcasting app, so you never miss one of the upcoming three thousand episodes this year. <laughs> and until next week, remember to come on, Kerry Lee. You do it, sister.
2: Take it black.
1: Always